All right. I invite you to take your Bible and uh, let's turn to the book of James, chapter 1. We're still in chapter 1 as we continue our study of uh, a faith that works. And uh, last week we learned that temptations come to everyone. I'm sure we've all perhaps had some issues this week, maybe some trials, some temptations as James calls them, but they are trials. And, um, and of course they come, uh, they come to everyone in various ways, uh, including trials of poverty and of wealth. Sometimes we may think that, well, those who are wealthy, those who have everything this world has to offer, they they don't have any problems, but they do. They do, just as the poor does. (coughs) Pardon me. So James reminds us that uh, whatever our social or economic position, both poor and rich need to see God's eternal perspective. All right about riches and trials that they bring. And whether one is elevated from poverty to riches or lowered from riches to poverty, the the, uh, circumstances in the Christian's life change. And the trials, uh, the trial of our faith is put to the test. And perhaps your faith was put to the test this week in some way. So we now, now we come to verse 12, and we'll go ahead and read the first 12 verses, all right? Beginning in chapter 1, James chapter 1. James, a servant of God and of the Lord Jesus Christ, to the 12 tribes which are scattered abroad, greeting, my brethren, count it all joy when you fall into, tempta- into divers temptations, knowing this, that the trying of your faith worketh patience. But let patience have her perfect work, that ye may be perfect and entire, wanting nothing. If any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, that giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not, and it shall be given him. But let him ask in faith, nothing wavering, for he that wavereth is like a wave of the sea, driven with the wind, and tossed. For let not that man think that he shall receive anything of the Lord. A double-minded man is unstable in all his ways. Let the brother of low degree rejoice in that he is exalted, but the rich in that he is made low, because as the flower of the the grass, he shall pass away. For the sun is no sooner risen with a burning heat, but it withereth the grass, and the flower thereof falleth, and the grace of the fashion of it perisheth, so also shall the rich man fade away in his ways. Verse 12, Blessed is the man that endureth temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life, which the Lord hath promised to them that love him. So, we now come to verse 12. And uh, James has a uh, word of encouragement for his persecuted brethren. Wow, wait a minute. A word of encouragement? But he didn't start off that way, did he? Verse 2, My brethren, count it all joy when you fall into divers temptations. And now he tells them that there's a reward for every persecuted uh, uh, for every for every Christian who endures the trials of life, and uh, and has been faithful, believers in Christ can rejoice in their trials and be blessed during 
uh, or in for, for enduring them. Forgive me this morning. I'm, my eyes are a little bit out of focus right now, so I don't know what's going on here. But uh, if you pray for me, I appreciate it. He begins with the word blessed, which means in verse 12 there, he says blessed. And of course, that word we know means happy. Uh, it also means fortunate or prosperous. In verse 2, he said to, to be joyous for the trials that come. And then now he says that the person who endures these trials will be happy. Happiness is not, of course, the normal response to temptations and trials. One author said this, quote, It would have been better if James had said, Blessed or happy or fortunate or prosperous is the man who is never under pressure. He goes on to say, or James could have said, happy is the man who never has his faith tested. Happy is the person who always gets his way and who never experiences sorrow. Who never knows sickness. Who always succeeds. Well, it might have been good for James to say that, but he didn't. However, James uh, says that when a Christian is tried, that he will be blessed. And the word tried means approved. And it comes from a Greek word meaning to, to uh, test metal to see if it is pure, uh, to purge out the impurities and to leave only the purest metal. And so we begin this lesson and we call this the crown of life, the crown of life. You know, the testing and pressures of life are, 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 are God's ways of testing our character and proving the value of our faith. And the reason that this man will be happy, James says, is because when the trial is over, he will receive a reward. And that reward is called the crown of life. What was a crown? When you think of the word crown, what comes to your mind? Usually something like this. And of course, uh, there are two Greek words that are used in the New Testament for crown. And the first one is called, is, is the word diadema. Diadema. And from which we get the word diadem. And it is the, always the symbol of kingly or uh, of imperial dignity. The word diadem was a circular ornamental headdress worn by a king or a queen as a symbol of authority and were usually made with precious metals and jewels. You know, many years ago, uh, when, uh, when we were in, in when I was stationed in England, Melody and I visited the uh, Tower of London. I can't remember if it was during... 68. In 60, 68, something like that. Uh, we visited the Tower of London. Anybody been there? Anybody ever been to the Tower? Anyone here been to England? Well, Tim, you've been to England. Logan, you've been to England. Lori, you've been to England. Is it Lori or Laura? Laura. I'll get one of these days. I'm going to get it right. I'm sorry. But anyway, many years ago, we uh, we went to the Tower of London, where uh, the crown jewels are kept, and we have a picture of the crown jewels. <clears throat> the crown jewels are said to be worth three to five billion dollars. That's the current value of the crown. And this is just a portion of them that you see here, all right? There are 142 ceremonial objects, including the regalia 
and vestments worn by kings and queens at their coronation ceremony. Uh, the collection is made up of crowns, uh, of the scepters, and of orbs and swords, uh, as well as many other precious objects. <clears throat> they are symbols of over 900 years of monarchy. Now, one of the crown jewels is the Imperial State Crown. Did you go to London, Brother Tim? Did you ever go to London? Yes. Did you, did you go see the crown jewels? You didn't, all right. Uh, the, the Imperial State Crown, which of course Queen Elizabeth wore during her uh, coronation, and at the opening of the parliamentary sessions once a year, contains the world's fourth largest polished diamond at 317.4 carats. Largest diamond that, uh, that uh, ever was found. And of course, that's just a portion of it there. Another word for crown in the New Testament is in the Greek, of course, is Stephanus. Stephanus. And uh, that came from the Greek Olympic Games, which were first held in Olympia around 773 BC. And these games were still attended uh, during the New Testament, and of course, the Christians were very familiar with them. The Stephanus was a, a, a woven, as you can see here, it was a woven laurel wreath, uh, a garland. Could be made of oak leaves, ivy, parsley, uh, myrtle, but most of the times it was made of olive branches. Could be made of violets or roses. And then, of course, they were placed on the victor's head. These crowns were given as a reward and a symbol of victory in the public games to honor the winning contestants. Uh, they were also given as a token of honor for distinguished military service for uh, victorious achievements. So here we have what is supposed to be a, a statue of Julius Caesar. And he is wearing the victor's crown, the Stephanus. Um, this is the word that James uses in verse 12 when he says, Blessed be, is the man that endure temptation, for when he is tried, he shall receive the crown of life which the Lord hath promised. Now keep in mind, right, that that word crown there is not a diadem. It is rather a, a, a Stephanus. And... Uh, it is the victor's crown. It was a badge of loyalty given with great fanfare and uh, joyous ceremony. So, here, here's the question for us this morning, okay? What is the crown of life? What is this crown of life that we are going to receive? Well, it's the victor's crown, all right? Here are some facts about this crown. First of all, it is the victor's crown. And this crown is given to those who are victorious and remain faithful. James says in verse 1, who have endured temptation. They've, they've stood the test until the very, very end. And this crown is used figuratively in the New Testament of the reward that God promises those who are faithful, who persevere through temptation, uh, tribulation, and persecution. And, and James tells us that, that, that Jesus has promised this reward to them 
who love Him. Do you love the Lord this morning? Well, you're going to receive a crown. You're going to receive this crown of life that He's speaking of here. And only a love for God and His Son can enable a, a Christian to endure the trials of life. And the Christian that has a joyful attitude toward his trials is motivated by love for God. So when do we receive this? When are we going to receive this, this crown? It's received at death. Or at the Lord's second coming. Jesus said to the suffering church in Smyrna in Revelation 2 and verse 10, the pastor probably covered this when, uh, when he went through chapter 2, and he says, Fear none of those things which thou shalt suffer. Behold, the devil shall cast some of you into prison, that ye may be tried. Be thou faithful unto death, and I will give thee a crown of life. And this is the same word as Stephanus. And this will be given at the time of death or when, when the Lord comes. I want us to look now at uh, five crowns that are com- commonly taught. All right. Um, how many of you have ever heard a message on the crowns? On the crowns that we are supposedly that are given in the New Testament? Nobody? You have? Anybody over this side? I may have, but I just don't remember. Okay. All righty. So, the five crowns that are commonly taught uh, in, uh, I just say evangelical circles, all right? And, and, and folks, um, I'm going to ask you to bear with me this morning because here's where I may mess up some of your theology. Okay? I'm going to challenge you this morning. I used to think that because I heard, the reason I did is because I heard preachers say this, especially when I was uh, first saved. Uh, I used to hear preachers say this, and, and if a preacher said it, then it must be so. Right? I, I used to hear that, uh, that there were five literal crowns that were mentioned in the New Testament. And that they will be uh, awarded to believers when we get to heaven. So according to some, we are going to receive these five crowns. They they are literal, physical crowns. You know, I try to envision how I would balance all five of these on my head. Really, Al? Huh? Right. uh, Or, you know, I used to try to visualize maybe a mountain of these crowns at Jesus' feet. You see, I was told uh, that uh, along with everyone else uh, that I would receive five crowns when I get to heaven uh, if I qualified, all right, and we'll say more about that in a minute, uh, and that I would cast these at Jesus' feet according to Revelation 4 and verse 10. Well, let's look at that. The problem is that it doesn't say that. Revelation 4 and verse 10. It says, The four and twenty elders fall down before him that sat on the throne and worship him that liveth forever and ever and cast their crowns before the throne, saying, in verse 11, Thou art worthy, O Lord, to receive glory and honor 
and power. For thou hast created all things, and for thy pleasure they are and were created. So I was told that this verse proves that we are all going to cast our crowns at Jesus' feet. But it doesn't say that. It says the 24 elders are going to do that. All right? Stay with me. Uh, And of course, it it, it doesn't specifically uh, identify who these 24 elders are. It says they cast their crowns, their Stephanus, before the throne. And and of course, this was to acknowledge uh, the infinite supremacy of God and to ascribe all glory to Him as the sovereign King. You know, I've I've learned uh, during my... Uh, Christian life that where the scriptures are silent we need to be silent also. So what are the five crowns that are commonly taught? taught? First of all, the crown of rejoicing and that's found in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse 19 through 20. Let's look at that, alright? 1 Thessalonians Chapter 2, verse 19 through 20. For what is our hope, Paul says, as he writes to the Christians at Thessalonica, for what is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? For ye are our glory and joy. This crown has been referred to as the soul winner's crown. And it's supposedly given to those who have won souls. So therefore, if you've never won any souls in your life, you're not going to receive this crown, according to those who teach this, who hold this position, all right? Personally, personally now, I do not see a soul winner's crown in this verse. In this passage, Or as a matter of fact, in any other passage. Paul is saying here that the greatest blessing he could possibly receive at Christ's coming was them, the Christians at Thessalonica. Isn't that what he says? For what is our hope or or, or our joy or, or our crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of the Lord Jesus Christ at his coming? So what Paul is saying here is the greatest blessing that he could receive at Christ's coming was them, the Thessalonian Christians. They were his hope. They were his glory. They were his joy. Also in uh, uh, Philippians, he says to the Philippian Christians in Philippians chapter 4 and uh, verse 1, he says, Therefore, my brethren, dearly beloved, and long for my joy and crown. So stand fast in the Lord, my dearly beloved. They were his crown. And and, 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 and the symbol of God's blessings on his life and ministry. These verses say absolutely nothing about a soul winner's crown. Are you still with me? Alright. Likewise, would you take your Bibles and let's turn to Proverbs Chapter 11 and verse 30. 
there are some who, who teach that this verse, Proverbs 11, verse 30, is a proof text for a soul winner's crown. Well, let's look at it. It says, The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and he that winneth souls is wise. Now, do you see anything in there about a crown? Okay? There's no mention of a crown in this verse either. As a matter of fact, uh, this verse has absolutely nothing to do with soul winning or evangelism. You say, whoa, Brother Escalera, whoa, wait a minute. But I've always been taught that he that wins souls is wise. Therefore, there must be a crown for this. You see, by the fruit, beloved, by the fruit or the result of righteous living, a person becomes a tree of life. That is, a source of meaningful life for others. Notice in Proverbs 3 and verse 18. A couple of verses here for you. Proverbs 3 and verse 18. Which says, She is a tree of life to them that lay hold upon her. Speaking of wisdom here. And happy is everyone that retaineth her. Another verse is Proverbs 15 and verse 4. Proverbs 15 verse 4 says, A wholesome tongue is a tree of life. Hmm. But perverseness therein is a breach in the Spirit. One commentator said this, quote, Here is the fruit of the flourishing branch mentioned in 1128. The whole course of the righteous person, his influence, his prayers, his instruction, his example, is a tree of life. The word winneth literally means to attract or to take lives. Um, Brother Doug, what does your ESV say? Uh, well, I'm in your... Are you? Okay, all right. But I, wanted to, uh, I just wanted to show you something here. Anyone have the ESV? Yes, what does it say, Sam? A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. It says what? A gentle tongue is a tree of life, but perverseness in it breaks the spirit. Okay. Is that the right verse? Proverbs 15, 4, right? Um, 15, verse 4. It should say, capture souls. Is that what you have to? All right. Uh, let me see here. Yes, sorry. I had the wrong verse. Yeah. Proverbs 11.30. The fruit of the righteous is a tree of life, and whoever captures souls is wise. Okay, there it is. That's the verse I was looking for. The same verse, except that in the ESV it does say captures souls. And that's what we said. The word winneth literally means to attract or to take lives or to capture souls in the sense in the sense of doing them good or or influencing them with wisdom's ways so the idea is that a righteous person attracts others to wisdom by their life and by our life we attract people to the Lord Jesus Christ um the godly person can lead his or her neighbor or a friend or, or, or workmate or loved one to Christ by the example of their life to bring 
people to the Lord Jesus Christ. And so, uh, uh, I think that certainly we must be wise if we're going to bring people to the Lord Jesus. Again, there's no mention of a soul winner's crown in this verse. That's the first crown. The second crown that's mentioned, and remember, these are supposed to be literal physical crowns, is the crown of life. And that's where we are right now in James chapter 1 and verse 12. The third crown is the crown of glory. And we see that, we find that in 1 Peter. 1 Peter chapter 5. First Peter chapter 5, verse 2 through 4. Peter says, Feed the flock of God, which is among you, taking the oversight thereof, not by constraint, but willingly, not for filthy lucre, but of a, of a ready mind, neither as being lords over God's heritage, but being examples to the flock. And verse 4, And when the chief shepherd shall appear, ye shall receive a crown of glory that fadeth not away. Now, this crown is supposedly given to the shepherds or the, the elders or pastors who faithfully preach and teach and feed their flocks. But uh, that literally means the crown which is eternal glory. The Greek word for glory is doxa, and it means dignity, uh, glorious, honor, praise, worship. And it refers to the state of blessedness into which believers are to enter hereafter through being brought into the likeness of Jesus Christ. So for eternity, we shall be like him, and we will have a glorified body. In 1 John 3, verse 2, it says, Beloved, now are we the sons of God, and it does not yet appear what we shall be, but we know that when he shall appear, we shall be like him, for we shall see him as he is. And so for all eternity, we will be like the Lord Jesus Christ, eternal. The next crown is the crown of righteousness. And this crown, uh, it literally means the crown which is eternal righteousness. And this is supposedly given to those who love Christ appearing at his second coming. And so we're to look forward to it. We are to look for His coming again and to love His appearing. 2 Timothy chapter 4 and verse 8. Henceforth, Paul says, there is laid up for me a crown of righteousness which the Lord, the righteous judge, shall give me at that day, not to be only, but unto, unto all them also that love His appearing. And the Greek word for righteousness, it refers to the, to the character or uh, quality of being just and right before God. For all eternity, we shall have the righteousness of the Lord Jesus. But again, this, it's taught, there are some who teach that this is a physical, literal crown that we are going to receive. And then, the last one is the incorruptible crown in 1 Corinthians 1. Melody, would you read that please? 1 Corinthians 9. Verse 24 and 25. This crown is supposedly given to believers who faithfully run the Christian race. Okay, Melody? 
Know ye not that they which run in a race run all, but one receiveth a prize? So run that ye may obtain. And every man that striveth for the mastery is temperate in all things. Now they do it to obtain a corruptible crown, but we an incorruptible. Okay. Speaking about an incorruptible crown here. So, there was a problem with the crowns that were given to men. And uh, that problem, these, these, these uh, Steph- Stephanas, the problem was that, uh, that they were corruptible. In other words, they would decay. Uh, they were perishable. Okay? However, the crown of life we will receive will be incorruptible. And this is what he is saying here. Imperishable. And they will never decay, never fade away. Now, you can disagree with me if you want, but could it be possible that there is only one crown? And that eternal glory, eternal righteousness, and incorruptible describe the characteristics of the crown, which is life. All right, As James tells us, I personally believe it does. What one author said this, quote, it will probably be, it will probably not be an actual literal crown or a ring of leaves, but is symbolic of praise, of honor and glory that Jesus bestows upon those who faithfully stand with him in the midst of trial and temptation. It probably will be some sort of special blessing, honor, privilege, or recognition in the future, eternal reign of Jesus. And therefore, therefore, the crown of life is a reward for a life well lived. It is an honor that Jesus bestows upon those who endure the trials and temptations of this life. This crown is an encouragement to remain faithful, and I personally uh, believe that this crown The crown of life is the believer's ultimate reward. And that is eternity with the Lord Jesus Christ. Not a literal or a physical crown. And uh, that, that, again, this is my personal belief. This is, from my study, this is what I believe. That this crown of life that he speaks of in verse 12 is our eternal reward. So, There's another crown that is mentioned in the New Testament that I think that we need to remember. Um, Doug, would you read, please? Uh, Let's see here, 15, verse 16, 17. Mark, chapter 15, verse 16 and 17. Jesus wore this crown for you and I. And this crown, they mentioned again, the word crown there is the word Stephanus. That's the crown that he wore for us. It wasn't a diadem, all right, but it was a Stephanus. It was a wreath made of thorns that was placed upon his head. And you know what, the Lord, we're told that Jesus counted it all joy to suffer for us because he loved us. Hebrews 12, verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith, 
who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. I saw a little poster once that said, how, uh, how much did Jesus love us? This, what? This much. This much. And of course, He loved us enough to wear this crown, this stiff on us for you and for, for, uh, for myself. So it reminds us that uh, uh, James is reminding us here throughout this section here that we've been looking at uh, the matter of trials. Uh, he, he says that if we're Christians, then today or tomorrow or, or next week or next month, trials and testings of various kinds will come to us. So, be faithful, folks. Uh, be faithful and keep focused on Jesus Christ who loved you, who suffered for you, who wore a crown of thorns for you. And he gave himself for you. And he's uh, given us eternal life. A faith that works will cause you to love Christ and to rejoice in the midst of life's trials. And you know what? When the last trial is over, God will give us his crown of life that James speaks of here. And you know what? It'll be worth it all. It will be worth it all. I want to ask you, is He your Lord and Savior this morning? Have you been born again? If not, today, this morning, right now, if you'll ask the Lord Jesus Christ to forgive you of your sin of unbelief, and you trust Him as your Savior, He will give you that eternal life. And you will have a crown of life for all eternity. Well, I believe that this crown is a glorious, a righteous, and incorruptible crown that one day we will receive. Amen. Let's bow. Father, thank you. Thank you for this time together. I pray that you'll... Uh, we've tried to, Lord, explain this the best we could, but I pray that you'll just use the Word, speak to our hearts, help us, Lord, to uh, be willing to examine perhaps what we've heard before and, or maybe we've heard in a message or been taught. And help us to be faithful to rightly divide the word of truth. Father, bless the next hour. Pray you bless pastor as he preaches. Give him liberty and unction from above. And we'll thank you in Jesus' name. And all God's people said. Amen.